I'm Callie Crossley, and this is Under the Radar. And now for the part of the show we call Lanyap. That's Creole for something extra. If any white man in the world says, give me liberty or give me death, the entire white world applauds. When a black man says exactly the same thing, he is judged a criminal and treated like one, and everything possible is done to make an example of this bad n- so there won't be any more like him. That was an excerpt from I Am Not Your Negro, a documentary about the late renowned essayist, novelist, and social critic James Baldwin, whose searing words about race and race relations are still resonant today. The documentary takes off from an unfinished manuscript and features both interviews with Baldwin and the narration of his work by actor Samuel L. Jackson. And just this week, the film was nominated for an Oscar for Best Documentary Feature. I Am Not Your Negro, is directed by filmmaker and political activist Raoul Peck, who joins me here in the studio. Raoul, welcome to Under the Radar. Well, I'm happy to be here. Well, first, congratulations. <laughs> thank you, thank you. It was a great news for all of us and for the team. You've been working on this for 10 years as you were slogging along. Did you ever imagine you'd be nominated for this great honor? Well, when <laughs> you're making a film for 10 years, you know, you, you can't afford to think to stuff like that because, you know, you just know you have to go all the way. So whatever happened at the end, you know, you're happy, you'll take it. But you, you can't, you know, think about, you know, whatever will happen to it. You know, it's hard enough to, to make it. Well, the film showcases the words of James Baldwin, as I said, through his own mouth in interviews and then through narration taken from his work, read by uh, Samuel L. Jackson. And I think people may know him as the author of the fire next time. They may know him as the guy who debated William S. Buckley, if they know him at all. And they may know him as a prolific essayist. But so many people have no idea where he is. So I'd like for you to start off by just telling us briefly, who is James Baldwin? Well, that's a a big uh, (laughs) uh, homework you're giving me here. Well, I I can uh, maybe try to say who he was for, for me as a young man. When I read him, uh, you know, when I was coming out of a teenager, uh, he was one of the few authors you could read and try to learn about yourself, about your story, and and about how to understand the world you were in, you know, where you there were no face like yours on the movie screens or on TV, where hardly books where you could feel at home and, and read your own story from your own perspective. So Baldwin was very early, for me today, one of the greatest American writer, period. Not one of the best black American writer, but one of the greatest American writers who really was the father of all who came after him, you know, including people like Toni Morrison. We recognize him as one of the people who opened the doors for her and uh, who helped her find her own language. And Baldwin did invent a language, a new way to look at this republic. And he, he traveled uh, around the world. He had an exterior perspective about what America uh, was and still is, unfortunately, uh, on some topics. And because he had that distance uh, from, you know, he went to the south, he went to the north, but at the same time, is each time he would leave the country and look back, that's when he would understand it the best. And so he was a political activist as well. He he was as well what he told, he he wrote about being a witness. 
You know, he, he had a great difficulty to be in the fight and at the same time to have to write about the fight and have to talk about it. And at his time, you know, you see in the film, he's one of the three speakers talking for the community. One was Martin Luther King, the other one was Malcolm X, and the third one was James Baldwin. Uh, that's how important he was. So where did the title come from? I referenced an unfinished manuscript that you took off from. He was going to write a book about the deaths of people who were his friends, Malcolm X and Medgar Evers and uh, Martin Luther King. These were all in various points in the spectrum of struggle around race and race relations and support of black people. But then he died, so we only had 30 pages in. Where did you craft the title from going forward uh, from that manuscript? Well, I worked uh, for a long time uh, with the title of this. It's not a manuscript. They are really notes, notes. toward mm. this book. Mm. And the title of the book was Remember This House. And I loved that title for, for a long time because it kept me focused about the different meanings of remember. Uh, sometimes you would write it re-e and then member. Mm. And this house, it could mean his home. It could be this country, it could be many different things, and the metaphors were multiple. And I, I liked that idea. But toward the end, I felt that each time I had to explain the mm. title. And I thought, I need to be more direct than that. And uh, in particular, when Baldwin himself, he's very vocal, very direct, very raw in the film, in, in his language, the beautiful way he has to, to speak to audiences. And I just uh, looked throughout the different title in the film itself. And there was one, uh, you know, where he said, I'm not a mm -hmm. And then I, I worked, you know, I just uh, threw out 30 different ways to say it. And the one that says, I'm not your Negro, I felt was exactly the film. It's like taking a stand, not wanting to insult anybody, but not asking for permission, not trying to be apologetic, but just to stand your man and say, I am not your Negro, whoever you are. You know, I am myself, and I cannot allow you to define me. And I thought, well, we got it. Well, that's, it seems to just embody the, the very essence of, of James Baldwin, which is, of course, the essence of your film. We should say it's not meant to be biographical at all, so we're not following him from he was born here, he raised here. Not we're, at all. We are We are really into sort of heart and soul business with him as he's being a witness about the country and, and what he sees as its fundamental issue of race yeah. relations. Well, the film was always for me uh, to how do I bring these words who really changed my life, who made the man I am, I am today, to a, a general audience. Uh, not only to the black community, but as well to the whole country as such, because he's talking to all of us. And he has a very humanistic way to do that, in a very poetic way, and a, but also in a very direct way. You know, he talks to you directly, looking at you in, in the eyes. So my concern was, how do I put these words on the front row and directly to the audience and make myself as a filmmaker not the subject of this film, but Baldwin and his words? And so I had to eliminate things like, you know, having talking heads in mm -hmm. the film. Uh, and I knew that, uh, you know, I would only use his words. There is one single word in this film that I invented. It's all Baldwin. 
all his sentences, all his uh, rhetoric and everything is from him. So that was the approach. So it was not easy to find, you know, how to couple it with images and how words and images would bring something else additionally and uh, also let all the emotions, all the anger, all the wiseness of, of Baldwin talking directly to you. That's my guest, Raul Peck. He is the filmmaker and director of the new documentary, I Am Not Your Negro, which is about uh, the renowned essayist, novelist, and social critic James Baldwin and was just nominated for Best Documentary in the Oscars. I want to talk about those images and the music as well. The thing that, as you have done, you've put together the words and in a, in a, you've shaped a narrative that you can follow. It seems to just go along in a, in a way that, that makes sense. It's not necessarily in order, if you will, but uh, you're drawn it, it had, in. It had, <laughs> it had to be a story. Right. It's a no, story, and you get drawn Otherwise, in. it w- wouldn't have yeah. worked. Yes. But the images, evocative and provocative, is, is what I came away with, because I could tell you I have never seen some of those images, and they really hit you in combination with the words of James Baldwin because you're just so startled. And I consider myself to be fairly well informed about some of these images, never seen them. And the music and the counterpoint, all kinds of musics, R&B, gospel, Bob Dylan. I could swear I heard country, blues, I mean, blues uh, yes, <laughs> everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, Even rap. Uh, yes, it was, yes, it was just, so all of that together brought us to what one critic has called a spiritual documentary. Well, yes, I think it does because it, the film confronts you to with yourself. You know, you can't escape. You know, it's a personal confrontation, maybe, but as well, it forces you to think about your own life, about your own role in the story, because we are all part of this same big story, and that's what Baldwin is telling us, telling you, you know, it's our story, and we are responsible for our future as well. So. For the difficulty for us was, or for me, was to uh, respect Baldwin's words, make sure it's always about his words and about him, to feel him as much as possible. And I could do that because he had been part of my life. Mm. You know, The film took 10 years to make, but the 30 years before are also part of the movie because I had to go through my own mythology of discovering Hollywood movies as well how he has wonderfully done in in criticizing the Hollywood dominant narrative. So it was always hard to find the best images that would shake you as well, because his word shakes you. So how do you, in a cinematic way, find the equivalent? So I knew that even those images of the civil rights movement, these black black and white images that we see every year, because now it's a ritual, it's, you know, it's a monument. We have to every year, Martin Luther King Day, Black History Month, and those black and white footage, dogs and fire holes, etc. And people, and in particular young people, they don't look at them anymore, you know, because they say, well, I know that already. Mm And which is not true, by I the way. I know. They think they know it already. They, they yeah. think they know it. Mm-hmm. So I knew that I had to find a way to keep you totally inside the film at every second, every frame of this film and try to match in a cinematic way uh, the, the, the eloquence 
of James Baldwin. James are in one of those rare authors where you can, when you start underlining, you know, sentences, you know, when you, as you do sometimes mm -hmm. reading a book, well, you are going to underline everything from page one to the last page. And that's how powerful Baldwin words are. So in order to follow that uh, with a film, you better work with the images that you you would use. And that's what I told myself from the beginning. You know, I would use anything I find, you know, whether it's black and white colors, uh, video, uh, 16 millimeter, high uh, definition images. and News all, footage from news Ferguson. Footage, et cetera, Ferguson, exactly. yes. Mm -hmm. So, and mm -hmm. that was with that sort of kaleidoscope, you know, that I, I could, you know, find the right way to, to tell the story visually. So let's talk about that, that you're talking about young people in this next generation. When I saw the images, particularly of Ferguson and listening to those words juxtaposed with them, of course, you're reminded again how resonant they are today. Why are they so resonant today, do you think? And, and how does that really cut through to the young people that you're talking about? Well, that, people ask me that a lot. And one of the response I can give is that it resonates because Baldwin did something extraordinary. He he went to the fundamentals, you know. He was never, never let the actuality blur his mind. He always stay focused to what is the most important, to the structure and the political structure, the, the social structure, the economical structure of this country, the history of this country. He's not somebody who just, uh, the way he criticized not only the making of our images, but also the making of our narrative, you know, he was always very big critic of all of this. He's, he was, you always suspect Hollywood or dominant media. So his prose and was always a deconstruction of all this. So he gave us the instruments as well in order to do that ourselves today. So when we read what he wrote 40, 50 years ago, the way he could be hard on exactly right today as well. It shows you, in fact, that nothing had fundamentally changed. You know, when you ask the right questions, in fact, unfortunately, you have to say, well, we are way back. We are still way back. And you can take any moment of his multiple interviews or statements. You can use them today and you probably will be able to use them for another 20, 30 years. That unfortunately, that's the true, the very true. And that's in the film, he tells us, we better face that true. Each one of us, because we are responsible as well. But in particular, the white, what he calls the white, uh, heedless majority of this country, you know, who invented that image of the neck. And, and he said, I'm not a neck. Somebody invented it and you invented it. So you need to deal with that. Why is it the case? Because that's not who I am. You can't define me, and I'm defining myself, and I'm still working at it. You know, I'm not finished. I'm part of this world. I'm not just one black person. I'm a human being, and as such, I want to conquer the world. You know, you can't reduce me to my anger. And so it's a very profound and philosophical attitude as well, and, and before being political. And this humanism. So he makes sure that every single citizen in this country feel concerned. And we can't just continue to bury our head under the carpet. 
because as he says in the film as well, you know, because this dream that we are all talking about, you know, we will wreck it by our mere presence in this country. So as I'm following his narrative and the way that you've shaped it, it seems to me that he's getting more and more depressed about the situation. And I, I wonder, you know, and of course he died, as far as I'm concerned, way too early to really have said more about what he saw was coming. Is America readier now to hear the kind of naked truth that he's speaking and understand it in a way that maybe folks couldn't when he originally said the words? You know, uh, my personal reaction to that is that I really don't care. We cannot keep any prisoners right now in this situation, in this country, after so many years, after so many sacrifices, not only our leaders who were basically most of them killed, put in jail, who went in exile, or who went crazy, or some of them were even bought. You know, we can't, after all those sacrifices today, try to keep, you know, not to take risk. And what risk is it, by the way, today, besides eventually losing your job? But these young men and young women lost their lives going to the South, going to fight where they had to fight. We can't do less than those people did. We can't do less than Baldwin did. And, you know, when he goes on uh, national TV, he speaks for 40 minutes and say the words he's saying. You know, how can we, if we are really in a democracy, how can we be afraid of telling those same words today? You know, the only thing that we don't even have that space today to speak so eloquently and so elaborate so deeply in today's reality, you know, in, in the, the time of Twitter, 140 words, signs. Uh, 40 characters, <laughs> or yeah. whatever. Yeah, I know. And, More uh, platforms, but, but don't exactly. have the space, so is your point. So we yeah. are yeah. totally in a, in a <laughs> big bubble, in a big, uh, you know, a lot of noise, a lot of parasites around. We can't even concentrate to hear what is in our own mind. So there is no way we can wait for anything. As far as I'm concerned, you know, this film I knew I, I was not going to hold back. I can't do less than James Baldwin have done in his time. And one thing you said, which is really true, is that it was physically painful for him, the, the killing of his friends and the fact that, as he say in the film, the elder is supposed to die first mm. and all these men died before him. Each one of them died before they were 40. And... Of course, symbolically, those are the most well-known names, but there were plenty others who really died. So our responsibility is huge. We got somehow lazy those last 30 years. Part of our leadership as well, for various reasons. And there is also a class problem in, in, in that subject that we, we should at some point address as well. And in order to explain what's going on, you know, that people, workers and white workers who should have been on our side together because the last big march that Martin Luther King and wanted to organize was a march against poverty, not against racism, against poverty, meaning the wider population of this country. And also we forgot that uh, Martin Luther King, mm -hmm. you know, the peaceful pastor and Malcolm X, the torch, racist torch, were together in this. 
their their minds and their analysis of this country. They were both activists. They, exactly, and mm. they became one toward the end of their life. You know, they understood that the race issue and the way they, they use our anger was a trap because it prevented us to see the bigger picture because that's where the real fight is for equality, for economical equality, for sharing of power. That's where they don't allow us to go, even when you have a black president, by the way. Hmm. So last question. James Baldwin said, you may not know what you'll find on a journey. He described his his being a witness uh, to the racial issues of America as kind of being on a journey as he spoke about it. I wonder, what did you find on your journey in making this film? Well, first of all, don't forget, I'm an older filmmaker. I've been making film for 35 years. And the story is different for me. It was like I needed to make this film, even if it was going to be my last, in order to share with this younger generation Baldwin words who shape who I am and who were important words and who helped me structure my thoughts, uh, who helped me understand my own history. Even though I am born in Haiti, I, I left Haiti very young. I live in this country. I live in Europe as well. I live in Congo. And throughout those journeys, Baldwin was always an important figure in my life. And I wanted to make sure that we don't forget him because we start forgetting him those last 20 years. We, we start forgetting that a man like this was you know, one of our greatest spokesmen, one of our greatest writers. And I wanted to make sure that we would never, never uh, forget Baldwin. So my journey was already behind me when I started working. And I just, my only fear was that I don't make a film that is as strong as what he gave me. You know, that was my duty, to make this film the best way possible and to catch at least part of his impact so that we can use it today for the next generations as well. Well, thank you very much. I think you did your job. Uh, a lot of other people are responding to it now. Thank you. Raul Peck is a filmmaker and political activist. You can watch his Oscar-nominated documentary, I Am Not Your Negro, on February 3rd at the Coolidge Corner Theater in Brookline. Then on Sunday, February 5th, the theater will host a special screening and panel discussion featuring WGBH contributor Kim McLaren and James Baldwin experts. Details at Coolidge.org. That's it for this edition of Under the Radar. Join us next Sunday at 6 p.m. for the stories you may have missed. In the meantime, you can find our show and links to stories we discussed today on the web at news.wgbh.org and on the WGBH app. And never miss an episode of UTR again. Subscribe to our podcast through iTunes. Finally, we want to hear from you. Please write to us at undertheradar at wgbh.org. Our engineer is Doug Sugertz. Andrea Aswahe is our producer. Under the Radar is a production of WGBH.